So we're reading from Deuteronomy chapters 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year for cancelling debts, during the Festival of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children <clears throat> who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The Lord said to Moses, now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day, they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and make them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them.
when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. And when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do, even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from the beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials so that I can speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I've commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. In this, the way you repay the Lord, is this the way you repay the Lord? you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your God, your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. And now from the book of John, chapter 18. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman Empire, Emperor, Governor, sorry. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. 
This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Just three quick things before I begin. Number one, how good is it to be here? And how great is it to sing? I'm thinking about Andy. How are your fingers? First time we've sung with a band for quite some time. So it's great news and lovely to be here. Uh, secondly, long readings. But this is morning prayer. And in the Anglican tradition, it's actually worth hearing large amounts of scripture. Robin, thank you for reading for us. It's quite a marathon, flawlessly read. Also, quite negative texts, especially the Old Testament one. And I think it's wonderful and strange and beautiful that Israel must be the only nation in the world where embedded into their narrative is, we're not so crash hot. We've got problems. And we'll see in a few moments' time why that's the case. And the third thing, it's Stir Up Sunday. Did you know that? In the Anglican prayer book from 1662, the Sunday before Advent has a prayer in it, a collect, which says, stir up our wills, O God. And whenever I read that prayer, I think it's funny how a prayer that's 450 years old uh, should sound so modern. Stir something within me, O God. So I'm going to begin our time together by praying basically that prayer, but with my own spin on it. If that's Okay. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd stir up our wills, stir up something wonderful within us. Touch our hearts by these words we hear from Moses and uh, from John's gospel. Put a new song in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So the book of Deuteronomy leans forward. It is a group of three sermons by Moses to Israel some 34 centuries ago. That's a long time. It is Torah, or instruction. Like many books of the Old Testament, maybe all of them, most of them at least, Deuteronomy seems to be a chapter ending in a longer book. That is, it leans forward beyond itself, and you can see that in the words of Moses himself. 
Or maybe it is fair to say that Deuteronomy is a bookending, right? It's a self-contained unit. Moses on the edge of the promised land, giving Israel the law a second time, reaffirming the covenant made at Sinai and preparing Israel to enter the promised land, be strong and courageous, but also telling them about their hearts. And it ends with a rousing speech. You heard it last week from Rob Sermon, 30 verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Right? This is a matter of life and death, blessings and curses. And so Moses implores them to choose life. It's a great ending, great speech with profound implications, like a good movie, you can't handle the truth. You're like, yes. And yet when the book ends, the reader cannot help but ask, when's the next instalment? I want to see what comes next. And there is a next, a sequel to follow. We call it the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the Old Testament in the end is not endless sequels like a James Bond franchise with no resolution. No, the Christian story with its chapters is a story seeking resolution, an end fulfillment, more like Lord of the Rings, less like James Bond, you'll be pleased to know. The victory of, ultimate victory of good over evil, the settlement of the Lord's people and the Lord's land, the presence of God amongst them. And I want to end this series in Deuteronomy by showing you this fact. Leaning forward is, of course, good preparation for Advent, which begins next Sunday. Our section today is chapter 31 to 34. And we put Bibles in the end of your pews because I was listening to Rob's sermon last week. You can't do these messages without dealing with large amounts of text. And so you don't have to do this, but you might find that actually having a Bible open and looking at it might actually help you to follow the message more closely. There is text printed, but you could also open a Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Our section is a mix of narration as well as Moses' words. Chapter 31 begins sadly. Chapter 31, verse 1, Moses spoke to Israel. He said, I'm now 120 years old. That's old. And I'm no longer able to lead you. Have you ever said goodbye to someone? It's not easy. And perhaps much more so when it's a national leader. Very destabilizing for a nation to have someone like Moses. So there's sadness here. In chapter 34, verses 5 to 8, Moses dies. He climbs Mount Nebo on the wrong side of the promised land, and God shows him the land that he can't enter. By 34, verse 4, I've let you see, Moses, with your eyes, says God, but you will not cross over into it. Then he dies, and in verse 8 of chapter 34, the Israelites grieved for Moses 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. So there's sadness in these verses. But there's also hope as well and brutal truth. And I want to show you all that today. The final verb of discipleship in the series is that we sing. Why? Because Moses breaks out into song in chapter 32. Not that we have to do it because he does. This is not prescriptive although it's pretty common in the story of Israel for people to conclude by singing. It's one of the last things Moses does before dying. And the song's goal is to embed the truth, the brutal truth, into the people's hearts. 
But unlike many modern musicals, this song in chapter 32 is not a feel-good classic. It is rather a brutal song with all the ugliness and beauty that comes with the truth. Why does Moses do that? I want to show you in a moment's time and then end with a few reflections on singing as a disciple of Jesus. The outline you see on page 11 is not an outline of the contents of the chapter. For example, point two, Moses wanted Israel precisely to keep this law and not another. Rather, those five points there are a gospel outline of the chapter because I believe that these chapters lean forward. There's a verse in Romans, a very important one that goes like this. It's Romans 3:21. It goes, but now, because of Jesus, apart from the Torah, the law, the righteousness of God has now been made known to which the Torah and the prophets testify. They were leaning forward. There is, of course, something brand new in the Christian gospel, but it is built on something profoundly old. So, five points on page 11. I believe the book of Deuteronomy leans forward into five truths. One, not this leader. Two, not this law. Three, not this land. Four, not this song. And five, not this way. Firstly, not this leader, but another leader. That's the theme of verses 1 to 8 of chapter 31. Final chapter begins with a message leaning forward. Moses says in verse 1, I'm old. God's told me I'm not entering the land. I'm not going with you. And that's pretty unsettling. Change can be disconcerting in any system, any community, any nation. We know why Moses was not allowed to enter from Numbers chapter 20, because Moses acts with passion. That's a bad thing in the Bible. And anger, rather than simple trust in God, and he strikes the rock. And right there, you realize, not this leader. Happens all the way through the Bible. There's a moment where you go, oh, not David. Oh, not Joshua. Oh, not Josiah, each time. Not this leader, but another leader to come. But God will go ahead of this people to bring victory on the other side, but it will be Joshua who will lead them. Chapter 31, verse 7, Moses summoned Joshua, said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, that's a theme through this chapter, for you must go with this people into the land on the other side. The Lord himself will go before you and he'll be with you. He will never leave you nor ever forsake you. Where have you heard that before? Do not be afraid. Where have you heard that? Do not be discouraged. Those refrains there, do not be afraid, marks the beginning of Jesus' life, the angel to Mary, and they mark the end of Jesus' earthly ministry after the resurrection. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says Jesus about himself. Moses, it's about God. So important for a disciple of Jesus Christ. But it's not this fight, not this land, not this way. We'll see that in a moment. Deuteronomy clearly leans forward to another leader. In the first instance, it's Joshua, who succeeded Moses, or Yeshua, meaning the Lord saves. In the Greek, Jesus. Now, it's a common name, but I do love how God chose Yeshua to follow Moses. Chapter 18, verse 18, I'll raise up a prophet like you from among you. You must listen to him. We listen to Jesus, who quoted Moses, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you in the fight. But not this land, not this way. We'll come to that. 
Let me read to you the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It should be on page... uh, Actually, it's not printed. Mistake. You can look it in your Bibles. From verse 10, it says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, for no one has shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. End of book. End of book. Those words lean forward to someone like Moses, who knew God face to face, who did the signs and wonders, the mighty power. These words stand during the time of the conquest, which follows this text. It stands during the time of King David and King Solomon. It stands for a thousand years to the time of the exile, which is the context of the arrival of Jesus. Jesus knew God face to face. He performed signs and wonders, and he liberated me, not from Egypt, but from my slavery to sin. See, not this leader, but another one, Jesus. Second, not this law. In uh, verses 9 to 31 of chapter 31, excuse me, 9 to 13 of chapter 31, Moses calls all Israel to publicly read the law every seven years. Just read it out in front of everyone requires concentration. Oh, you think that reading was long. (laughs) Requires concentration. I guess in an era of low literacy, without YouTube, maybe they could do it. This is a way, of course, for Moses' successors to disseminate the law of God into the future. 31 verse 12, assemble the people, men, women, children, foreigners, so that they can listen and learn then to fear the Lord your God and to follow carefully all the words of this law. And then reminding a new generation, verse 13, their children who don't know this law, you know, there were three when it was last read, they're now 10, imagine that, they must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And yet there's acknowledgement even in the book that merely hearing the law is not enough, nor even doing the law really. Why? Because embedded into Moses' words are the fact that the human heart is inclined to be callous to, to God without God circumcising the heart and doing something to the heart. We care about ourselves. We're naturally curved in on self. St. Augustine coined the phrase, in curvitas and say, in Latin, in curvitas, curved in on self. Hoping to muster up from time to time an interest in God, let alone do what he commands, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Don't you feel the weight of those words? I do. In the end, it won't be the words that save, but Jesus. Did you notice in the New Testament reading, the leaders in Israel sought to be ceremonially unclean at the Passover? I mean, they were trying to keep the Torah as they were trying to edit God out of their life by killing Jesus. And this salvation won't come by just giving us more words, but a new heart. Paul makes the argument in Romans 6 and 7 and 8, when he says that the law, the Torah, is good and righteous, just doesn't save me. Even if I delight in God's law, I can't do it. I need a new heart. Liberation from another master, from sin itself. And in Romans 6 to 8, Paul argues that you have that liberation through Jesus Christ who delivers me. Not this law, but the gospel that this law testified to. 
And thirdly, not this land. You know how some movies contain an epilogue? Billy is dyslexic and he uh, can't hit a baseball, but at the end of the movie, Billy goes on. Billy went on to become the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. They went, yes. If Deuteronomy didn't lean forward, this was the end of the book, the epilogue that you'd hope for would be this. The Israelites were strong and courageous. They went in and took the land and from there brought blessing to the world. But no, right here in chapter 31, verse 15, Moses and Joshua are called to the tent of meeting and in verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, you're going to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods, right? They'll love another beside God in the land that they are entering. They will forsake me, right? They'll turn their back on me and break the covenant I made with them. Verse 17, and in that day, I will become justly angry with them and forsake them. They forsook me, I forsake them and I'll hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Therein lies one of the predictions that things will go rotten. Now, it's verses like these that lean forward to the exile to Babylon some 1,000 years later. And there are verses like these that lead some scholars to argue that Deuteronomy was written during the exile. How, how do they know so much? So the land won't be the final answer. Just getting the land and moving in, it's not the final answer. Because it's got something to do with the heart and sin. And in fact, it's during the exile that promises are made where God says, I will clean you up and forgive you. And the promises are made for the whole earth, not just that plot of land east of the Mediterranean that we call Israel. The blessing of God will come from that land, but will encompass the whole earth. As our vision statement says here at church, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so simple Zionism is too small-minded. Jesus said at the pilot, John 18, verse 36, my king, you're a king, aren't you? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus says cryptically, but powerfully. If it were from this world, my servants would do what Jewish people were commanded to do in Deuteronomy. They would fight to prevent my rest by the Jewish leaders. They'd defend me. But now my kingdom is from another place. No, not that land. I mean, you can visit that land, and many of you have. I think you fly into Tel Aviv, don't you? Catch a bus to Jerusalem. Support it if you want, if you believe that's right. Certainly, Paul makes the argument that it's Jew first and the Gentile. So we, I think the argument is evangelize Jewish people, and that might be a reason to move to Israel, or at least New York. But Jesus is saying here and elsewhere, no, the promises of God are much bigger. We're talking about the renewal of all things. Which is why Jesus dares the leaders in Jerusalem, you tear down this temple in this land, and I'm telling you right now, if you do so, I'll rebuild it in three days. Possibly the most important words of the New Testament. Those words changed the world forever. Suddenly protecting the temple wasn't the key. It was going to be something else. And thus, with those words, Jesus reimagined all of Judaism and indeed Deuteronomy, to which it was testifying anyway. Not this land, but the whole earth filled with his glory by his resurrection. Fourth, 
Not this song, thank goodness. The song gets sung in chapter 32, and it's a really long song. Um, read it yourself later. It's brutal. By the way, it's so long, uh, I've concluded that there's no Christian community that would endure it. Not the Hillsong type, nor the traditional worship people. We don't know the tune, and I can't imagine the tune. Maybe there was a meter of some kind. It has some amazing verses in it that are picked up in the New Testament, more than one, but one of them is in chapter 32, verse 25, where God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, to which Paul uses to argue, which is why you bless others and love your enemies, because God's got justice in his hands. But the song is designed, we're told why they're supposed to sing it. It's designed to get Israel to look in the mirror, to take a good, long, hard Look at self. It's not cuddly. It's not designed to make you feel better. It's not the opening hymn that's going to rock the house. It's a song to tell the story of a stiff-necked people who deserve and receive the just judgment of God, a sword in exile, a people who drink the maddening wine of his wrath, a people for whom God will hide his face. Before he sings the song, in chapter 31, verse 14, Moses tells him, you're going to sing. So in verse 19 of 31, God says to Moses, now write down this song. I love how Liz Fuggle said on my Facebook page this week, <laughs> I love how God says, write it down. And teach the song to the Israelites and make them sing it, right? Force them to sing it. Oh, we don't want to sing that song, Andy. I'm telling you, you've got to sing this song. You can't not sing this song. So that it may be a witness for, for me against them. Moses didn't consult a marketing agent before writing the song. So verse 22, Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. Why? So that they know that this problem here, this problem here, it ain't right. You constantly need God because you need salvation, saving. So 30 verse 30, Moses recited the words of the song from beginning to end. He taught them in the hearing of the whole assembly. And here it goes, 32 verse 1. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O oh, praise the greatness of our God. He's the rock. His works are perfect. His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and justice is he, is he. But because he is just and he knows the human heart, he also knows their stubbornness, verse 5. They're corrupt. Is this the way you repay the Lord, verse 6, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and he formed you? Really? He made you and formed you and you want to treat him this way? Well, wake up. That's what the song is saying. Go talk to an older person, 32, verse 7. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. You need the story. Ask your father and he'll tell you, your elders, and they'll explain it to you. I love how the old people know. Not all old people, by the way, older people, but older people with soft hearts because you can be an older person with a hard heart and a stiff neck. But I do love how 
the oldest are the ones who drop the stones in John 8, when Jesus says, whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. They're the ones who walk away. And then judgment after judgment in the song, Moses knew how to make friends. And then you've got this remarkable verse, and if you've got a Bible open in front of you, you will be blessed to put your eyes on these words. Chapter 32, verse 39. Not printed. 32, verse 39. I should have printed it. 32, verse 39. I repent of not printing it. 32, verse 39. God says, See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver you out of my hand. You are safe. In a moment, we're going to sing, you alone can rescue, you alone can save. God will bring the sword of his judgment and deliver them from the same sword. Death, then brought to life. Wounded, then being healed. Judged, then vindicated. Death, then resurrection. It's right here. But not this old song for us, but a new song we sing. So not this letter, not this law, not this land, not this song, and not this way either, finally. Because it's not by the sword, which is what comes next in Deuteronomy, conquest with with Yeshua via war. But mark my words, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a victory, and it secures the whole earth, not via the sword, but by his resurrection from the dead. For an exile by the sword can't truly solve the problem. It can communicate something. But it can't solve the deeper problem. The sword, as you know, and any bomb... Can I say that? Any instrument of war is a blunt instrument that can't get at the human heart. A doctor, for example, can do nothing about a stiff neck. I'm talking about a spiritual one. A doctor can do nothing about a hard heart. Oh, she can clear the arteries, but she can do nothing about a spiritual hard heart, not as a doctor, not being a doctor. A doctor can't curve you outward to others and upwards towards God instead of in curvitas and say, curved in on self. In verses 24 to 29, Moses outlines the problem when they enter the land, and it's you're the problem. You can't go in there you bring you with you, right, the old line. So when you go in, 31 verse 26, take the Torah, place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and there the Torah will remain, the written code will remain as a witness against you. The written code stands against you. Paul will consider the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament, and he'll write this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, drawing on Deuteronomy chapter 10, when you were like that, is that you right by the way? When you were like that, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code which stood against us and condemned us. That's Moses' words. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross of Jesus. 
and victory, having disarmed the powers and authorities, not Egypt and the Babylonians, but sin, death, and Satan, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the sword. No. By the cross, by giving up his life. Jesus said, put away your sword. You can't get more, four more significant words. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. And yet the earth is secured for the future. The victory over sin won by a new and better Moses who leads us to the new Jordan, the future that God has planned for those who love him. And so we sing a new song, a new reason for joy, a new reason to be strong and courageous. Be sure you know this. The first Christians sung in the first century, Pliny the Younger, not in any way Christian, wrote to the Emperor Trajan and said Christians were harmless, right? They were good citizens, paid their taxes and didn't actually put up, bring up their sword. They didn't fight. But listen to what he felt necessary to report. He said, and I quote, Christians were wont on a stated day to meet together before it was light and sing a hymn to Christ as to a God, alternately. Christians have always sung, know this. Isaac Watts wrote that those who refuse to sing, who never knew our God, but servants of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. We sing to story the gospel into our hearts. Gordon Fee wrote, let me hear you sing and I will tell you your theology. We can't sing it here, but we sung it at 8.30. William Williams wrote a classic, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. He knew to read Deuteronomy in Christian terms. Guide me, O my great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Not the Sinai desert, but the life as we know it. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. And he sees facing his own death as being on the edge of Jordan, when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land be safe on Canaan's side, a future God has prepared for those who love him. I went to visit Eileen Cole this week from 8.30. I had a heart attack last week and doctors went in and did the right thing on her physical heart. But we looked at these verses together yesterday when I went to visit her, and she said, at the possibility of dying, she's 10 minutes away from it, but she's fine and mend, on the mend and all that. She said, I felt the hand of God. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. We mean the real conquest, the one that counts, not the one spoken of in Deuteronomy. So sing a new song. It'll help you to be strong and courageous. A new song from a very, very, very old song sheet, but not the old song of stiff necks and hard hearts, but rather the new song of redemption and grace. Songs of praises, songs of praises. I will ever sing to thee. I will ever sing to thee. Let's pray. Father, the psalmist said that you lifted me up out of the mire and the clay and the mud.
and you put my feet on a rock and gave me a new song of praise to my God. We choose this morning this new song. We choose this morning the song of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not denying the old song, that song testified to this new song, the truth about our hearts and the need for salvation. But we choose Jesus Christ. We say, who, O Lord, could save themselves? Their own souls can heal. No one can. We say, our shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. No one can take you out of your hand because you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. We hold this promise through Christ our Lord. Amen.